Welcome to the Light Lounge. This is Thomas. I'm a lighting designer in New York City. Today I speak with Nick Tuffle. Nick is a world rockstar architect. He's a project architect at Knottle right now. He has experience at Nike. We speak about biking, we speak about baking, we speak about candy, and we speak of lighting design and where it's heading to. Guys, enjoy! Hello everyone, welcome to the Light Lounge. The lounge today is in Brooklyn at Broadway, and I'm sitting here with... Nick Tafel, hello, or Tafel if you prefer in German. Nick. So Nick is, I would say, one of the rock and roll architects because I want to, I want, I want to start. <laughs> I was playing air guitar to be clear. Yeah, we, this is something. Yeah, right. Something we need to explain. Yeah, right. Exactly. So Nick has um, one of the most fascinating tattoos I've ever seen. Um, he has on his right underarm. Do you want to? Do you want to explain what it is? Yeah. So. Um, I actually get a lot of questions about it. It's a, a ruler that I designed, um, and it's got inches and centimeters on it, but the inches are depicted in symbols. So I have, it's kind of in disguise a little bit, which I like about it, um, but it is to scale. It's got eight inches. Couldn't fit a full 12 inch ruler because my arm is too short. So um, yeah, the dot is the first inch, and then two dots makes a line, and then a triangle, a square, pentagon, hexagon, septagon, octagon. Wow. So for reference, you know, I oh. never know when I'm going to need a ruler. <laughs> Do you actually use it when you're I on? have before, yeah. <laughs> you know, I could take my iPhone here and say, yeah, that's about, you know, it's about three inches wide. Wow. Well done. I hope I don't get um, much larger in my later years. It might become a 12-inch ruler. <laughs> <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty awesome. Nick and I, we actually share another... Uh, something else what we like to do we're actually heavy bike riders in the city oh yeah um i was i was just biking down broadway here and sometimes the street is really nice but sometimes you have like the new york street seats are like streets are like so bad it's like really dangerous Dude, right especially at that intersection down there yeah. flushing ave and uh broadway it looks like the surface of mars it's awful um we've, <laughs> yeah, yeah it actually does, it actually so does. And you've been you've been a, a bike a bicycle career as well, right? Yes, my first summer here, um, Thomas and I went both went to Parsons. Um, but I, after my first year at Parsons, I, I was having trouble finding work, and I needed to make some money. So I thought um, I ride a bike a lot. I can ride it pretty fast. So maybe I should be a courier. Um, it was one of the worst jobs I've ever had. Oh, really? Yeah. In, in what terms? In terms oh, of man. safety? <laughs> safety, <laughs> in exhaustion, pay. Um, there was good that came out of it. I think it was one of the best ways to learn the city. Yeah. So I would, I would be delivering anything from um, food to important documents or anything that people were too lazy themselves to take on the subway anywhere. So... Some days I would ride 40 or 50 miles wow. up and down Manhattan or, you know, sometimes over the bridges into Brooklyn um, and the pay averaged at like $10 an hour or something. Wow, that hurts in the legs. Oh, it does. I was jacked that summer, though. I looked good-ish. <laughs> something that completely separates us is, of course, your 
massively attractive facial hair that oh I'm man lacking. i wish you guys could see it it's beautiful Ugh. for for all the females and males whoever is like into facial hair it's it's like a real man thomas like, is watching me stroke my yeah. beard right now <laughs> exactly uncomfortably <laughs> <laughs> um so nick what are you, what are, what are you how do you how would you describe yourself like one of these boring party questions like hey yeah. when you don't know what you talk about like what are you what are you, what are, what are you it's hard i you know legally i can't call myself an architect but i would even say that i wouldn't want to be identified as an architect i would say um first and foremost a designer and a maker of things yeah would be would be how i would identify mm -hmm. i think um that that's how i um perceived you as well because you have a lot of like you not finding a job is like probably something that completely underestimates what you do and your quality because you have so many different things what you're doing and we probably speak about um about no-name leathers as well mm -hmm. but why don't you give us like a like a small rundown of your bio so you are where you're from sure where you do education stuff like that so i grew up in columbia south carolina uh, which is the capital um was born there and I went to Clemson University for my undergraduate degree. Uh, I got an undergraduate in architecture, a Bachelor of Arts in Architecture with a minor in entrepreneurship. Um, for a bit, I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina and did some of these odd things that Thomas has been talking about. I think that's been the reoccurring theme over uh, my life has been the the weird and vast breadth of different things that I've done. What are the odd things? What have, what, what odd thing have I been talking about? Um, I baked. Uh, I was an, a nighttime baker at a bakery. I didn't when know I, that. Yeah, when I graduated <laughs> from Clemson, I uh, had moved back home for a little bit and I was feeling very discouraged about what I was going to do with my life and I didn't know really what to do. So I, I packed up everything that I could fit in my car. And I drove north on 85 until I got to Raleigh. Um, and my friend and I decided that we would just take take up in Raleigh and figure it out. Wow. I had like 1,500 bucks. Um, we found a sublease there, ended up getting kicked out about two weeks later, homeless for a little bit, got a new spot. Wow. And then uh, I started working as the nighttime baker for a bakery down there. So I would go in at 6 p.m., get all the mixes going for the breads over the night, and wow. then we would usually get off like midnight, one, two, depending on how heavy the load was that night. But we, it was from scratch. We made baguettes and croissants, focaccia, challah bread, loaves, muffins. Bro, you need to stop. Yeah, I, it was just is, like, oh, mm. you know, it was a, one of my, <laughs> looking back, it was, it was, I think it was exactly what I needed at that weird decision point when you're 23 and you're like, am I an adult yet? I don't really know. Yeah, right. I'll go work at this bakery for a few months <laughs> until I figure my life out. Um, what, then I, I worked at a uh, museum exhibit design company uh, that had the fabrication in-house. So we were mm -hmm. designing largely children's museum exhibits that were interactive nice. and uh, had movements built into them. So we were doing storytelling, but in a very fun kind of loose way. Uh, and then I decided I should throw myself massively into debt and go back to grad school, <laughs> at which point I up and moved my life again to New York city. So that's what, what, that's what brought you to New York city. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, I decided, you know, if I was ever going to be worth my salt as an architect, I should probably live in a actual dense 
urban area. So I came to New York, started at Parsons, and Thomas actually gave me my tour of the school. He was one of the tour guides. I was like, man, me and this guy are going to be friends one day. <laughs> he doesn't know it yet. <laughs> yeah, I heard I heard the story today the first time. I Yeah, sometimes you, yeah. You never know, you know. Yeah. Okay, so and that means you went through architecture at Parsons? Yes, Master of Architecture. Okay. Yep. Of course, because this podcast is like sort of, Uh, focusing on lighting as well yeah and i know that there is a lot of collaboration happening and that the classes are sometimes crossover mm -hmm. um before we go to what what you're doing now did you what is the most memorable part of lighting or did did the lighting education influence your your architecture or your, your design what you're doing today absolutely um it was hard so i you know i had a undergraduate degree in architecture um And other than kind of vaguely drawing in the direction of the sun in your cross-section diagrams or in your plans, knowing that the sun comes from the south generally, um, I don't think I quite understood that the sun is changing every second and every day of the year. Um, and that was fascinating to me. I took a studio with uh, Kim Ackert, A professor at Parsons. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, and she really challenged us to let natural light be the only thing that drove the form of our building. Wow. Um, which I thought was just fascinating to think about how you could use an object to redirect or focus or shade. Um, and the buildings that came out of it were really fascinating because they kind of, they were these weird mm -hmm. sculptural objects. Mm -hmm. Some of, I mean, I don't even know if I would call my building pretty, but it didn't really matter. It was more about like the feeling inside of the space. Um, and I dove pretty heavily into some of uh, Louis Kahn's work while I was at Parsons yeah. um, and his writings and talkings about the, what light means to space and how those two things really to him can't be separated. I think, mm -hmm. I think I just, I actually uh, got a little bit more of a scientific knowledge of yeah. natural light yeah. and figuring out what that means to a space, which I, I think has absolutely changed the course of how I shape spaces um, and how I want people to feel inside of a space. And I don't, I definitely don't think I had that before. I think that's that's super interesting and and how powerful and and what kind of a unique selling point this becomes in in these days as well. For example, when I think about the when I think about the the West 57s building from mm -hmm. Bjarke Ingels, absolutely. I'm I probably referenced this too many, but even that building is so highly focused driven on the lighting. What is interesting, because when we look back sort of in history, and I'm definitely not an, an, an architecture historian, so people who are listening, please... Forgive bear, us. Yeah, bear with <laughs> us, bear with me. Is that, so like the thousands of years back, once architecture sort of started, they the architects or the engineers or the builders, whatever you want to call it, they inevitably... Yeah. Sorry, I'm German. My English is not that good. Uh, they inevitably inevitably yes, thank you so much. <laughs> had to pay had to pay attention to uh, to the sun and the lighting, right? Absolutely. And then electricity was introduced and electric lighting, and then you could basically not give a damn about 
the architecture anymore because you could solve the problem inside of darkness with mm -hmm. just lighting. So they are like massive. I just have pictures of in my mind where you would have buildings that would be created without paying any attention Absolutely. to any kind of daylighting. Mm -hmm. And now where we raise, we, and I'm generalizing as architects, designers, designers creators, yeah. we pay now much more, uh, we pay much more attention to daylight again because it is just exactly how you described such an important um, element of how we feel in space and that we sort of oh, make yeah. this kind of change. I think there's been like a, a kind of, I think this is happening. I think this is a theme in a lot of things. It's the the analog versus the digital. Yeah. Um, and it seems really sexy at first. You're like, we could have a building where we don't even need mm. to give a crap about where the light is coming from. But then we realize that the things that nature and the earth provide for us maybe can be a lot better mm -hmm. uh, physiologically even uh, in helping us establish, you know, for example, daylighting, the rhythm of our bodies and the way that we kind of, set up a schedule for ourselves. Um, I think architecture realized in the last, you know, 50 or a hundred years that there is something to daylight that, you know, as much as we can fine tune electric lighting, there's something about daylight that, that is much more complex and much more nuanced than what we can do with electric lights. I recently heard about of course, I completely agree. And I recently heard about the difference between, I think it was another, another. I read something, it was another podcast about the difference between sound and noise. Mm. And sometimes, Interesting. and sometimes we hear, sometimes we hear something and for us it's sound. And sometimes we determine something else and we describe it as noise. Mm. And that's, I think, pretty similar. So for example, sometimes when the city is too noisy, uh, interesting, noisy. Using the same word, not when, soundy. <laughs> when the exactly when the city is not, if the sound outside is not, is not doesn't give pleasure. I sometimes have like rain sounds, sort of white noise, in order to fall oh, asleep. Yeah. What is very interesting because there is some something about the 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 natural connection of sound, of like a rainforest or mm -hmm. or and maybe this is the moment where I I put into the podcast like some rain sound three two one okay we will fade it out again but um there is some quality to it that is the same for our for our ears like lying on the beach and hear the waves crashing and at the same time the same part for the visual aspect when we sit in a building when we sit in an office that we want to have this kind of natural movement changing element, totally. what we don't perceive as um, visual distraction. I think it's one of those things too, that we may never quite understand the connection that the brain and nature share. Mm -hmm. We know that it's there. Like you're saying, you know, hearing like, I don't, I'm not at ease when I hear a subway rolling down the tracks, you know, even though it's, it's constant, like rainfall, mm -hmm. there's something yeah. chaotic and, beautiful about the way that rain hits the ground or yeah. you know and i think what you're saying is true the same it's the same with daylight there's something about it that's because there's there's feeling there too it's like when sun hits your skin it's like yeah. you know you feel your hairs go up and you're like whoa <laughs> i have a friend that's of course no scientific knowledge but i have a friend in germany and whenever he exposes himself to sunlight he starts to sneeze 
I, Weird. I have no idea where it's found. I just, it just popped up into my mind. Yeah. You don't do that when you look at lights. All yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing now? Um, so I, or how do you feel? How do you fill your time? How do I fill my time man? <laughs> with many things? I have too many hobbies. I think I've noticed about myself. Um, do we want to talk about my professional or like, what am I doing that still is inspiring me? We can, let's come to the, what is, so what do you do professionally versus where, how much, where do you draw the most pleasure off? What mm. do you do professionally or what do you do in your hobby? Um, I do. I think it's important to, to find something that is stimulating to you in some way professionally. Um, I'm working for a, real estate startup company in New York called Notel as a project architect. So I am designing office spaces um, that are popping up all around the city um, to kind of question on the base level, what what is the uh, contemporary workspace looking like? How is that flexing? How is it changing? And I think the thing that is inspiring me about that I feel like I've always been a person that is looking for the root of something and asking that question, why, why do we do this thing this way? Whatever that may be. Um, I think that question got me in trouble a lot when I was younger in school. Mm -hmm. I think I've always been sort of the square peg in the round hole or round peg in the square hole, however <laughs> the idiom yeah, goes. Yeah. Um, but I've always been a, a person that, that doesn't, want to accept this is the way you have to do this thing solely for the reason of that. Mm -hmm. uh, we may over time in our design processes figure out that that is in fact the best way uh, because other people have come before us and figured it out. But I love that, that idea that, that there's questioning the status quo. Yeah. And figuring out, you know, how do, how does my mind see this problem and can I see it differently and maybe arrive at a different not necessarily even better, but a different good solution, a different solution that works well. Um, I kind of just went off on a rant there. Um. <laughs> that's, no, that's totally fine. I, I, I'm trying to calm myself down because I have, when I look down on my past, school did completely suppress my, my creativity. Mm -hmm. and I feel that. Exactly. Like questioning whatever is happening. And I was not, I was, I wasn't enough rebel at the time yet that school did not support creativity. Yep. But that's just my personal, maybe there are other people that had like good mentors or good people in school, but it was definitely not for you, not for me and apparently for you. Yeah. I, th I think us like kind of insane designers um, get frustrated in those kind of really tight uh, constraints of standardized education. I don't think I really, started to unlock and I don't think I've unlocked it at all, but I don't think I've started to unlock my, how my brain processes things until I got into a studio based education and was given the rein to go off on the tangents and, um, explore all of these different things. It was the, Hey, here's a chunk of information. Memorize this regurgitate it on a test. I was like, what am I, you know, what value am I adding to society by showing you that I can memorize information and show it back to you again? I want to say something, you know, 
That is, I think that's a very powerful thing. How can I contribute to society? How can I tr contribute to, yeah, our, our, our friends, our family, our neighbors? Totally. That's totally something that at least my school didn't do for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's a very important time in your early twenties when you're trying to figure out, you know, who am I? Like you've been told a lot of things when you're, when you're growing up and told how to do things, but it's an important time to look back in on yourself and say, what, what is it that I actually want to leave on this planet when I'm not here? Our lives are relatively short when you think about it in the course of the planet. Um, and I didn't want to spend my short time that staying in line. I don't, you know, I've been going outside the lines ever since I was a little kid. <laughs> Color in the lines. I was like, no. <laughs> Color wherever I want. Wherever I damn well please. I think there I think we are we are very deep, but that's that's essentially that's exactly the question everyone should ask themselves. I have I have time on my hands. Time is the most valuable thing that we have in our lives and how do we fill our time and we have for us the responsibility but also for this planet and it's very interesting because when i talked to to other designers and julia i'm referencing her quite some time um, from san francisco like we as designers we have such a massive uh, we have such a massive responsibility how we design spaces how do we treat our environment and Absolutely. that's exactly and i think and that's something millennials and like younger people are like more driven to it is not just it's nothing it's not about cash it's about what kind of purpose do i do i fill and once you i think give people a responsibility that have like a, a purpose or like a driven idea mm -hmm. then it will automatically lead to something yeah definitely better i think there are some people too that would disagree with us who would say you know life is about accumulating wealth and that is a status symbol of success and a status symbol of i've done things right But if you gave me the choice of dying with a big pile of money <laughs> and being angry and sad or dying poor, but having contributed something that I think is worthy to society, I would always choose the latter. Like, I don't come from money. I've never had a lot of money. So that doesn't, it means nothing to me. If you think about it, money is pointless. It's, yeah. In the end, it's, it's just... It's a thing, you know? Yeah. We're surrounded by a lot of things. But we are, at the same time, I think we are both sort of already in sort of pri privileged or, or privileged to have had the opportunity. Absolutely. Even through, even, though, even though through like sponsorship or other forms to get in this kind of situation. Of course, like money is for... It is there and it's it's a necessity, but that's a diff maybe a different conversation. But of course, we are... Um, I, I think you listeners understand the point what, what, where we are. Yeah, absolutely. Heading to. Okay, um, so you had you had so we talked about your um, your your professional way of doing things as a project architect. Are there? I'm always a little bit curious. So Knoddle is like, uh, is it? St it's still a startup. Do you consider it a startup? Uh, I think so. It's still you know. Notel's about two years old-ish. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, I've only been there, let's see, almost almost two months. So I'm, yeah. I'm a pretty new employee. Um, yeah, it's fun. Startup life is crazy. 
Like, yeah. But I'm also insane, as we've learned. Yeah. <laughs> so do you? And now you you can you can decide how much you're able to share. I'm I'm also a little bit curious about what kind of processes you have and what kind of um, software you use. Maybe I'm just asking this question all the time because I'm not very. I'm not very, um, I'm not super experienced with software, mm -hmm. but also, also, also curious what kind of systems you use in order to make design better, but also use technology. Yeah. Um, I, I've had this thought all through school about what the kind of processes are that, that involve your hands and then ones that involve the machine, the computer. Um, and I see benefits of both of them, definitely. I come from a making background, I would say. I think that was sort of my foray into architecture was mm -hmm. uh, through the handicraft part of it. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, there's a, there's a time. I think the important thing for me in my own design process is not doing too much of either one. And where my hand um, can't draw it or can't make it, the computer can help me sort that out. And then when I get really stuck with the computer work, I move back to the hand and that sort of dichotomy, um, I think generates really interesting forms and interesting patterns. Um, just because of the, the sheer fact of how different they are, you know, when you're drawing the gap between your mind and your hand creating your mind, thinking it and your hand creating it is like instantaneous or one of the more instantaneous design processes. When you're working with a computer, immediately you're feeding the inputs through another machine that was made by humans. So you're at the whim of your ability to use the machine effectively. Mm -hmm. And that definitely influences the things that come out of it. Um, so I've found when I've tried to design something fully in the computer, it, it lacks maybe scale or um, a human character or emotion. Soul? Yeah, soul, exactly. Um, so I, all of that is a long way of saying that I do them both a lot. I really love to draw. Uh, I think that's how I get most of my ideas out there. Um, and for, in my architectural processes, I use, um, rhinoceros 3d, which is a pretty widely known, uh, 3d modeling software. And then for the, the straight line drawings, I have to do AutoCAD, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then getting into more of the art side of digital stuff, mm -hmm. Photoshop. I think I use Photoshop for like almost anything. Yeah. Um, it's really easy to manipulate and distort and change color. And you all know it's Photoshop. Yeah. Yeah. People say just Photoshop it. Yeah. You know, it's become a verb. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then a handful of other Adobe programs. Uh, but yeah, those are, those are mostly, I love also just love yeah. making models. Um, by I, hand, you mean? Yeah. 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 I only escaped Parsons with one of my yeah. models from school, and I still have it. Um, but there's something about the meticulousness that a model, and you'll learn mm -hmm. so much more about your building when you actually have to put it together. Mm -hmm. You know, you like spend all this time in the computer and you're like, I've got it figured out. And you go to put two pieces together and you're like, damn it. I did not think about that. There's just a gap, you know, that you just, you won't figure out until you actually start putting the tectonic pieces together and figuring out. It's like a 3D puzzle. Even just, even just building it 
and laying it out in a computer and then having it like CNC lasered or not CNC lasered, you don't say it. You have, you have, you have it lasered. Uh-huh. <laughs> and just by putting the, the single pieces together, it always makes you think in a much more mm-hmm. complex way. Yeah. It's funny, there are always people, this probably happened to me at some point, but people who would say, oh yeah, it'll be so easy. I've laid out the laser cut files. And then a few hours later, you'd see them scratching their head. <laughs> trying to figure out which side goes with which oh i didn't you know account for this i didn't account for that and i'm yeah. over there with my ruler and my pencil just <laughs> rocking away cutting it by hand making it happen <laughs> yeah a lot of times but yeah um i would can we can we so because you are doing so much more i would like to touch base quickly maybe that's a good moment to segue into into no name leathers right yeah because we have we are doing every everyone in the design industry or has to touch the computer in a certain amount mm-hmm. of a way but at the same time you are doing uh, something else on the side yeah um, back in my undergraduate degree I decided one day that I wanted to make a leather belt I was really dissatisfied with the ones I was finding so I bought some really basic tools off I think off Amazon or something, uh, mm-hmm. a strip of leather. And I was like, I'll make myself a belt. And I thought it was the best belt that I had ever seen. I still have it. It's in my room. It is the worst belt that I've ever made to date. This was probably four or five years ago. Um, but I got fascinated with the, the pure handicraft that's involved with making leather goods. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, after that, I, I started making more belts Belts were the first thing. It's easy. You know, it's like a long strip of leather with a buckle on one end. It's, mm-hmm. um, and then I, I started thinking about, man, I really, I want to learn the artisanal craft of leather making or leather crafting, excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, and I started reading and doing research and buying more tools. Here I am four or five years later, several thousand dollars later in tools, making wallets and yeah Yeah, not not (laughs) earned spent spent spent, to be clear spent (laughs) um and it's just become something that has been really stimulating for me in my free time to do uh because you know it's the nature of our work that we don't get to spend a lot of time working with our hands in offices because of standard procedures and the way the industry is moving Mm -hmm. uh we work on the computer a lot we email a lot we're looking at screens a lot and in my free time, I have a little leather shop in my apartment uh, where I make wallets and bags. And the other important thing, too, for me about it is that um, it doesn't matter. I would never want it to be my job to make leather stuff. Understood. Yeah. I think I would stop loving it so much mm-hmm. if I had to depend on it for my livelihood. And it's nobody, nobody can tell me what to do in the leather shop. You know, if I screw something up because I miscut, it's, it's on me, you know? And those have been some of the most important learning phases are when I have screwed something up. Because even, you know, I'm five years into this or so, um, and I'll make some really dumb mistakes. And I'm like, you know, I've been doing this for five years and I am realizing that I still, how little I still know or how much I've only scratched the surface. How did this happen? Why, why damn it? Yeah. Yeah. Which gets at another big thing that I'm a believer in is that truly learning a craft, Mm -hmm. uh, you'll probably never stop learning it. Yeah. If you're not, you know, pushing it or trying to learn something new from everything that you make, um, 
and you're just kind of doing the same old thing. That is what I'm fearful of is being mm-hmm. stagnant, yeah. educationally stagnant. You need to grow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I spend my time in my little leather shop, um, like one of Santa's elves making wallets and bags and dog leashes and whatever else I can dream up. <laughs> so maybe that's a good point to plug. Um, non, so the brand, the brand is called No Name Leathers. No Name Leathers, yes. And I, I'm totally biased because I have, uh, I have a wallet uh, of yours. And if there's anyone who needs something with leather, my trust is fully uh, on, Come to me. on Nick. Um, absolutely beautiful. Let us please speak a little bit about your internship at Nike. Yeah, yeah. So this is. Was it, it, it was an internship, right? It was, yeah. yeah. I did a, a summer in the um, retail, the global retail design studio at their world headquarters in Portland. Wow. And I was doing store design within the retail design sector of the company. Um, and I think the job that I'm working now at a startup that's very fast paced and always changing was definitely influenced by working at Nike with um, so many incredible creative, fast-moving people. Mm -hmm. Architecture as a field has, um, it has the tendency to move very slowly. And Mm -hmm. that's something that's very frustrating for me. I like to do stuff. I want to do it and see it and then do it again and see it. Um, And the incredible thing about Nike was how highly, first of all, how highly they valued their designers. Um, I think they put design first a lot of the time, knowing that design is an investment in the company, um, not an afterthought if we have enough money. I think that you know if we put all of this effort into design, it will pay back tenfold in the quality of our product, in you know sales, in everything. Uh, and I loved that about working there. Um, the other thing was just getting to work with people that had come from such vastly different backgrounds. You know, there were artists, um, there were architects or interior designers or people that came from business backgrounds. Um, and the work was very fast paced. I mean, retail is changing constantly. What is, what, what, what is like a turnaround time? I only can see the one that is at Broadway in Manhattan. They have yeah. like, like, I don't know, is it Always. On a, a monthly basis? Yeah. Or? They're, you know, the store design side moves a little slower, but like definitely the branding and the product placement and the whole colorways, they're like always, always changing it up. The thing that I um, thought was pretty incredible too, and I I don't want to speak on behalf of Nike, I'm not an employee anymore, but from my perception, it seemed that Nike didn't really care what the rest of the industry was doing. They were more interested in beating themselves. Interesting. They were Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. if we're not doing better than we did last time, who cares what Adidas is doing? Who Mm -hmm. cares what Under Armour is doing? If we're not beating Nike last season, then are we moving forward? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has seemed to work out for them, you know, mm-hmm. over the past however many years since they've been in business. Yeah. Um, How big was the team? How many people were in the? Was it what was it was it called like retail design department? Yeah, the global or? retail design studio. Let's see, if I had to estimate, like in the 30s, and that included um, environmental graphic designers who were kind of working on the overall like in uh, graphic design pieces that would be installed spatially. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. some of them were three-dimensional pieces that would be going on walls that were brand-centric to Nike. 
Um, others were wall treatments or material treatments. Mm-hmm. Then there was a fixtures team that was designing what the actual pieces are held on, uh, how to deploy those mm-hmm. throughout spaces. And then the store design team was more centered on the actual architecture of the stores. That's where you worked on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then um, I worked very closely with another intern who was, um, see, I think she was an interior, sorry, uh, graphic design, environmental, in- not interior graphic design, environmental graphic design. EGD is what they called it. Mm-hmm. I worked very closely with her and we actually did a project together. Um, every intern at Nike has an intern project. And for the Nike designers, they do a show at the end. Um, and it's kind of like, it's kind of thesis project based. It's like pick something that you really think is cool uh, or interesting in the retail design scene and just go for it wow. and execute it. And we wow. built a virtual reality uh, retail experience. Oh, okay. That like everyone who came to the show could like put the headset on and look around. And, wow. Which, you know, that is becoming a big thing in real estate and architecture, interior design mm-hmm. is being able to simulate reality so that you can sell these spaces to clients better. Yeah. So yeah, it was so, awesome. Okay. So clients would actually, oh no. So the, the, the VR experience would take place in the store. Yeah. Okay. And we were thinking about all these cool ways where you could, you know, let's say you look down at your foot and you can cycle through different colorways of a oh, shoe nice. or like, you know, look at yourself in a mirror wearing an entire outfit or it was, just, it, we were just going off yeah. the deep end. It was I so mean, cool. It's obvious that it, this is like saving a lot of money and mm-hmm. at the same time creates excitement, right? It's oh, like, yeah. okay, like I'm in the store, I, I tried this pair of shoes and then like, hey, can I, can I, hey bro, can you like run down to the basement and like, and he's like, dude. No, I can't. This is my eighth time today. Yeah, can I see it like in red and blue? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so it was fun. Um, and I did they have I because of curiosity of my uh, profession. Uh, did they have like a gra- did they have a lighting designer? See, I'm, I now I want to say graphic. They did. Design, design they had. Um, they did have in-house lighting designers, uh, and lighting was a big part. It it kind of um, forayed in with the environmental graphic design. I think mm-hmm. they looked at lighting as a piece of graphic design. How are you? sequencing lights how are you Mm. integrating them with Mm -hmm. the other things that are brand centric not as a separate piece not like oh we need light in here so it won't be dark it was like it needs to be a part how can we make how can we make it a feeling yeah that's very interesting like to think about like brand elements and brand is always feeling right and trust oh yeah whatever you connect to like brand Mm -hmm. it's very interesting not to think about it as like a necessity to provide enough foot candle Mm -hmm. levels on on the walking surface. Oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So Nike was, Nike was rad. I think it definitely loosened my mind up a little bit, um, to think about with a design based degree, what else can you do? Yeah. You know, when you think about it, uh, in architecture school and other design based degrees, you're learning to solve problems. Yeah. You have all of these inputs, a series of constraints. <clears throat> How can you solve them functionally, beautifully, um, and efficiently, and like, there's not. To be clear, there's not a perfect design solution. I don't think. Never. Yeah. I think there is really good. There's really good, and that's about the best we can ask for. Mm-hmm. So the thing that we're being taught is how to how to solve problems and how to learn. Uh, and I think those are the two biggest takeaways. I mean, that's being very reductive about grad school, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, 
in terms of life skills and professional skills and educational skills, those are the two biggest takeaways that I think will be things that I take with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, for sure. We are sort of coming to the end. Um, I have, I have one, I've uh, like, we will, I will ask for, um, recommendations. Um, yes. but I want to start with, do you have a favorite candy? Ooh, we yeah. bike, we work out. We are so conscious about our yeah. appearance. But your, your facial hair, there's like nah. so much about it. What's your favorite candy? Candy is so good, I must say. <sighs> never, never grow up, It's never stop eating candy. Yeah. I think the Reese's peanut butter cup Interesting. Yeah, would probably be my one. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm I'm picky about which ones too, you know? Well, the different, I, you know, the big ones, sometimes the chocolate to peanut butter ratio is like... I kind of off. eat around the edge. The middle is too much peanut butter for me. Interesting. Uh, so I, I kind of like the, you know, they're like the size of a quarter. You can buy them. And you see that bag right there? <laughs> yeah. They're right there. So the candy is They're right in, there in on the, the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> There's another bag in the refrigerator. But these are these are the these are good, you're yeah. saying. Okay. Oh, yeah. Are these the mini ones? No. Yeah, those are the miniatures. But they're ones that are smaller. Okay. I guess those oh, would be okay. Nano Reese's. Oh. <laughs> Any, like, sort of anything that you recommend in maybe New York or design or some, or, or art piece gallery, something that like comes up, pops up to your mind where you say anyone should definitely check this out for inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, it's kind of a cop out, but I love the MoMA. I love to go to the museum of modern art. Uh, they rotate the exhibits a lot. Mm -hmm. And if you can get there on a weekend morning or even a weekday morning when it's not it's quiet. full of tourists, it's yeah. quiet. Um, it's good to walk around in there. It's a nice space also. There are a lot of nice wings in it that I really like. But it's good to walk around in there with a clear mind and just look at some other people's creative thoughts. Um, try and put yourself in their shoes and think about the struggle that artists have to convey like something that's so visceral to them. Yeah. Um, and, and walk out of there with a creative thought in your head that you didn't have when you walked in. I think I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm very rudely interrupting here, but have you seen today the, uh, I think it was today how Banksy, the Banksy art piece was oh, yeah. destroyed. Itself. I saw that. There is something very fundamental that we touched on today as well is that there is like something beautiful about things or something good about things, but there's never anything perfect. And right. the question, like different question, but of course the, the value of this thing itself is already like. Yeah. 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 And people, you yeah. know, I've heard a lot of people be like, what an asshole, <laughs> you know, that guy paid all, or that person paid all that money for that painting. I think he's like, Banksy, he or whoever he or she is, I don't think we even know still, right? Mm -hmm. Still, The jury's still out. Is trying to say something bigger than yeah. he shredded a $1.4 million art piece. Yeah. I don't think he or she ever cared about selling the art for yeah. that amount of money. Yeah. Art is something that's for people and meant to be experienced. And the thought that's been put into this action of shredding this, this piece of art is like, it's kind of a big old middle finger to how inflated the art industry is and how unapproachable it is by saying, you know, watch this sold shredded. It's like, wow. What a statement. Yeah. What a statement to make. Um, and to be, to have the influence to not be corrupted by that amount of money 
and still be like, you know, F it. I'm going to shred up this thing. It's not worth that yeah. is kind of what's being said. And I, th- I think it's, if I had a, that big of a middle finger I could give, <laughs> <laughs> I might do it. <laughs> Nick, thank you so much. Thank um, you. Before we stop here, um, where can people reach you, say hi to you, potentially see your stuff? Yeah. Um, you can, there's some work on my website, uh, my own personal work. And that's www.nicktaffel.com. Nick, like N-I-C-K. I put it in the show notes, oh, yeah. boom, done. Um, or at Nick Taffel on Instagram. I post a lot of my photography work on there. And we haven't even touched on that. So there's like so much more about you. you. People should check out what you're doing and I think they will discover much more about you. And I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Nick. Well, thank you for having me on, Tommy. It's been, a, it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yes. And that was the conversation I had with Nick in Brooklyn. You should definitely say hi to him and see what he is doing, not only in photography, but also with his company and business No Name Leathers. I hope that was helpful to you to give you all the necessary insights. Uh, if you want to say hi and give recommendations or comments to the launch, just say hi to me, send me a message, DM me on Instagram under Thomas underscore Nick. Also, the next episode will be launching again on Monday, every week a new episode. Also, please, if you haven't done so, please follow this account, subscribe and leave comments in the comment sections. I'm very excited to hear what you think, uh, what you think about the lighting industry and if you have any kind of topics you think are interesting to talk about or to listen to. I wish you all a beautiful day. Stay awesome. You're Thomas. Bye.